Today on Make Impact, we've invited Andrea Shirk and Ross Kramer to share their thoughts on business and leadership in a present and post-COVID-19 world. Andrea is the general manager at RockLitz, and Ross Kramer is the co-founder and CEO of Listract. He joined us on this podcast a couple episodes ago. Stick around to hear more from these two creative leaders and their personal challenges, outcomes, and the steps they take to continue looking ahead. From Make Films, you're listening to Make Impact, a podcast about creative problem solving and the leaders who are changing their industries for the better. Here's your host, filmmaker and entrepreneur, Derek Diener. Thanks for joining us. I think the kind of the reason for this conversation, I think, is um, I'd love to just talk to other business leaders who are going through this. We're all three in different uh, industries and mm-hmm. being affected very differently. Obviously, Andrew, what you guys are dealing with is is even more extreme, I think, than what Ross and I deal with. You know, maybe that's a guess or not. But um, in any case, I'd love to just talk to you all about, talk to all three of us. We can have a discussion about um you know, day to day right now. And then it's maybe a little bit of a time capsule even for us to look back and, and hopefully be encouraged by the future um, as we as we navigate this. Thinking ahead of the future, what are things we can think about and, and learn from the past to kind of um, navigate and be a good leader and be a kind of that solidifying factor within organizations to help and, and inspire, um, you know, growth within these challenging and scary times, but also studying the ship and innovation and all those things. So that's really what I'd love to cover. I'll be asking some questions. Just wanted to get people to know who you are a bit. So the first question, um, Andrew, we can start with you. Uh, you know, where do you work and what role do you have there? Okay. Um, I'm Andrea Shark and I work at Rockletitz. I'm the general manager here. So I've been with Rockletitz from the start. I actually started where Troy and Adam, the owners, asked me to help them for one month. That was in 2013. And they said, hey, we, we, we bought this land and we had a year to do our due diligence and that window ends in one month. So can you help us figure out, like, can we get financing? What should we do? What's our plan and strategy? So um, my role here is fairly diverse in that Rockletitz is fairly diverse. So I do um, all of the construction, um, which includes the leasing, the financing, the planning, land development. Um, I also, as I open the entities and help run the operations. So uh, Rockletitz collectively is a campus of companies within the live event industry. We have um, one of the world's largest rehearsal studios for live events. We also have a small rehearsal studio for sort of up and coming acts. We have 40 companies that are part of this Rockletitz community. We have a hotel, uh, restaurant and bar. And then um, of the 40 companies, about 25 of them are actually currently physically on the campus as tenants as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's amazing. So that's quite, it started off with just a a month consultation and then, you know, Seven years later, uh, I guess. It's been, still keep going. Yeah, that's exciting. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been cool to see the growth of Rocklet. It's over as an outside observer. So great job with all that you guys are doing because it's it's definitely, you guys work at a great fast pace. I think uh, it's cool to see even, I think Rocklet and Listrack, um, you know, are in terms of like the way that you guys operate and the speed at which you operate, you're kind of more like California uh, companies versus uh, <laughs> Lancaster County companies or big city companies. So I appreciate it. It's definitely an inspiration for us. So Ross, uh, how about you describe, tell me uh, where you work and what role that you have. You bet. So I'm Ross Kramer. I'm the co-founder and CEO of a digital marketing platform for retailers called Listrack. I'd love to hear 
Uh, Ross, I'll start with you. Describe what the last four months have been like as a leader in your organization. Sure thing. The last four months have absolutely stretched my leadership capacity and capabilities. Um, really from the, the early onset of the pandemic, as um, you were really trying to wrestle with what is current normal and what is coming um, and just how to uh, how to bring those things together um, you know you had we had so much energy um, heading into the heading into 2020 positive energy lots of things happening um, uh, and uh, just to see those things start to disappear um, and having to reconcile that um, uh, personally, and then lead a team through that, um, through the, the reconciliation of really destruction of, of, of creativity, um, and then hitting a low and then trying to, to find your way out of that as well. So it, it definitely stretched my, my leadership, uh, capacity. And I could only imagine ours was a micro uh, dose of what uh, Andrea and the Rocklitz yes. community had to go through. No, you're exactly right. For us too, I mean, you have to kind of just step up and, and, and you're faced with it. You can't, sometimes you're like, can I just uh, not face this certain days, you know, of course, but you have to step up and you have to face it and you have to lead. So it's been uh, a learning challenge and uncomfortable most days. Um, but a Andrea, what about you guys? What has your last four months been like as a leader in your organization? I guess I have sort of three things that I would say describe it. Um, one, I've said to a few folks, uh, I feel like I'm running on the fastest treadmill I've ever mm. been on and going absolutely nowhere. To, you know, I've never worked so hard to accomplish nothing. <laughs> you know, everyone's like, oh, are you like just relaxing? I'm like, I've never worked this hard in my life. Like, so, um, so that's been interesting, you know, and trying to figure out like, how am I working so hard when we don't have work? Um, that and... Um, it's been an interesting role as a leader. So I feel like I have to play both extremes. I have to be the cheerleader for my team. I have to mm -hmm. have optimism. I have to, you know, help people who may be personally suffering through depression or fears of what were to come. But I also have to plan for like the worst case scenario. So I have to be like the darkest and brightest person on my team mm -hmm. at all times. And so that's been really hard for me to just like bounce back and forth between those two. Like what if we make no money for a year and a half you know how do we survive that right i have to look at that scenario i have to think about what happens if someone gets sick and how do we handle that but i also have to help my team not necessarily carry those burdens and fears so um, i think that that takes an interesting um ability to you know switch that gear back and forth constantly um Certainly. and I, I also think i've learned things that um i maybe never wanted to learn um, so in a weird way, like it's been four months of development. Yeah, that development piece has been big for us. I, th I feel like everybody on our team being kind of a small entrepreneurial company uh, has stepped up to the task of learning and growing through yeah. uh, the craziness. Um, and I think that's important. But um, yeah, no, that's good. Those are both both good insights. I think we all kind of feel that sense of of stretching 
and uh, not really wanting, not really wanting to be. I mean, I always want to be stretched. I'm, I love to grow, but uh, this certainly is another level and like another speed. The treadmill thing, going nowhere, is really is really good insight. A lot of you have probably heard of Audible.com. Uh, I've used Audible for the past seven years. I've read over 80 books. I actually learned from a friend if I've been listening to books 30% faster. So I do the, use the 1.3 times faster and it's just a way to kind of get books faster with my efficiency brain. But it, it helps me, you know, it's amazing. I, I love to stay connected, informed, uh, and inspired by Audible.com. So you can sign up for your free 30-day trial of Audible Premium Plus at audibletrial.com slash make impact. That's audibletrial.com slash make impact. Happy listening. Thinking through that, we're, we're all talking about uncertainty, disappointments, kind of like what's the next year going to look like? Um, and, and that balance of being that kind of cheerleader and optimist, but also that realist uh, on the other side. Um, what would you, what advice would you give to people that are leading right now? Like, how do you lead through uncertainty? How do you actually do that? How do you actually um, do those things you're describing? Um, Andrea, we'll start with you on that. So one of the things that I had to wrap my head around in the beginning was I had the plan for the worst case scenario, but I couldn't let myself believe we necessarily were going to go there. Right. So I had to know like when realistically, do I run out of cash? Because mm. I have to know who am I asking, you know, mm. what, what conversations am I having with my bank? How am I making really hard decisions, you know, around our operations and our people, but you can't, you can't assume that's going to happen, right? Yeah. You have yeah. to plan for it. So you have to be sort of willing to go there without letting yourself totally go there. Um, I also think the other thing, and, and I'm trying to do this both personally and with work, but there's nothing we can do to change this. Okay. This is what it is. Yeah. So what opportunities exist? And certainly like that first phase of this as Ross described, we were just in survival mode. Right. And then we sort of slowly got out of survival mode and it was like, okay, well now we keep calling it the middle. We're in the middle. We don't know how long it's going to last. We're not quite sure what's going to happen. It's probably going to go up and down a few times. Um, but what opportunities exist? What are those projects that we've always wanted? wanted to do you know what is the research we actually want to know um, on some of our marketing efforts that we never maybe had the time to go take the effort to do how can we grow as a team um, my team has been incredible I've been so amazed I have um, if you came on campus right now there are three guys in my team who are mulching and cutting the grass here um, and <laughs> they're not my maintenance staff <laughs> they're my studio managers wow, that's amazing so, um, you know I just keep looking at like what opportunities can we take out of this. So you, you have to be a realist and plan around that realism. But I do think you have to look at this as it's not, I can't change this. So what can I do to make the most of it? Yeah. Yeah. Ross, any, any insights on that leading through uncertainty and disappointment even? It, there was a lot of uncertainty because our customers are all retailers. Um, and on non-pandemic days, all of our revenue is at risk because retail is a you know risk laden uh, business. Um, so we already live in that world where our our revenue is at risk um, because uh, because of, of retail is is a is a tough space to 
to perform. Mm -hmm. And then when the mall started to shut down and the stores started to close and nearly every one of our <laughs> customers were non-essential, that created a lot of, um, a lot of uncertainty for us. Now, you, the listeners might be saying, but hey, I thought you guys support e-commerce. Um, and pr probably one of the biggest misnomers that's in the industry is how little e-commerce contributes to the overall retail number. It's, it's somewhere, you know, in the 12 to, to 15 per, percent. Um, really? It's, it, it's, so. it's shockingly low if you pull the um, if, if you pull the, the, the stats. Now, wow. you got to keep in mind, there's grocery in there, there's cars in there, there's furniture in there. Okay. So there's some big yeah. ticket items that are, yeah. you know, that are in there. Um, but, but nonetheless, um, retail only plays a small part. So if you're a national chain with 600 stores, re, you know, and, re, and maybe you're an older, an older uh, chain of retailers, you know, retail for you might, own, might be in the single digits perhaps. Wow. And so it was just not enough to keep it, to keep it going. So one of the things that, that we did, and, and we, we have this ability, thankfully, was we started to monitor things much closer than that we had access to that we didn't monitor before. So we, we created an index, and we actually still publish this um, daily on our blog, but we created a retail index to understand how are what's, what's happening with consumers. Are they buying more? Are they buying less? And what's happening in the channels that matter for us? So our two primary channels are email and SMS. How are, are they opening emails at a greater rate? Are they clicking through on emails at a greater rate? Are they clicking through on SMS messages at a greater rate? Um, and of course, everybody, when the pandemic hit, started to get those emails from anybody they had ever had a, had a relationship with. And it's like, what are you doing? You know, so, and I, everybody was just kind of hunkering in the bunker, but it's like, stop sending the emails that you're concerned and cleaning surfaces. Just stop. Like, a, you know, the financial company that, you know, I, I discontinued their service 15 years ago. You don't need to let me know that you're, you know, concerned and cleaning. But so once it was really interesting because we could see large spike in those emails, newsflash, hardly anybody paid any attention to those emails. Uh, and then as, as retailers started to understand, okay, we can pull on promotions. We've got this thing called promotion. So they started to be more, more promotional. Um, that drove some sales. We could see the impact of the stimulus uh, for anybody that's listening. That's a, did the stimulus have an impact? Absolutely. It had an impact. Our, on, on the e-commerce side, um, we're still up. Uh, we're still up in big gains. We saw really the doubling of of, uh, of e-commerce revenue. So, if some of our customers were maybe making, let's say, a hundred thousand dollars a day, many of them shot to two hundred thousand dollars a day as soon as those stimulus checks were wow. cut. Um, and uh, so that was that was good to see. So we we monitored it, um, which gave us some level of. Um, uh, you know, some level of, of solace and understanding that, okay, uh, people are buying. Um, and then um, we, we reached out to our customers immediately and we had empathy to our customers, had empathy with our customers because we, we've been here before. That's one of the nice things of rolling through a number of these different, you know, uh, economic downturns is I've learned if you're, if you're a good partner with your customers during this downturn, there's a really good chance that you'll be even better partners out of the, out of the downturn. So 
that was a big message to me out to my team is we need to help our customers through this. If there's any time that we need to be there for our customers. So the pain that our customers were going through was really, I think, a, a rallying um, flag that we all got around to really help them. And that was that was probably a theme um, through the the early part of the of the pandemic. Yeah, were you were you kind of um, fast to like your leadership group as you were kind of navigating through? Um, did everybody kind of get on the same page right away with the tactics and the way that you were working, or how did you guys do that all remotely too? I mean, yeah, luckily the remote thing for us was not a challenge because about twenty percent of our staff is already remote. Yeah. Um, we've got we've got a remote office in King of Prussia. We've got a remote office in Newport Beach, um, and increasingly to find top talent, you know, we've got to find them in the the you know corners of of America. Um, so we went home one day and we were up and running the next day. That was not a challenge. There were you know a lot of companies that weren't set up that way. We were kind of set up. Yeah. The one thing I got out of this was I was really petitioning and politicking for a camera on policy, like camera on first policy. People were, um, you know, hesitant to do that. I, that's one thing that, that Ross got out of this pandemic is everybody's cool with turning on their, cam their yeah. camera, except the bankers. I found the bankers are still stuck in the Byzantine era. That's interesting. Um, yeah, the bankers still call in to the Zoom for some reason. Okay, yeah. yeah. If I, you can I, even get them on a Zoom. They, they're, <laughs> yeah. you gotta I think we might it. share a banker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's interesting, I think, overall. I mean, a lot of things that used to be phone calls have turned into Zoom calls uh, last couple months, too, and which has been nice because, you know, especially in mid-April when you're just, like, hoping to see somebody face-to-face -face besides your family, which, you know, is, is nice to get uh, a different perspective. So that was cool. I, I agree with you also on that. But in terms of, I, I like to ask a follow-up, Ross, in terms of kind of going through the recession, um, you know, 12 years ago, what other lessons have you learned that you think that uh, helped you when you were going through the last four months? I think, so we, I survived the dot-com bomb I survived 9-11, I survived the 2008 thing, and um, every time it transformed us as an organization, but it didn't, didn't kill us. I'm, I'm excited to hear Andrea's perspective on this because her organization was, was much more dramatically um, affected by, by us, but um, it, did it did transform us, this one will. The difference, from the last one was, it was much slower. This one had an immediate point of, uh, of, of start um, with really no clear point of end. Um, and there was clearly people that you could point at, point your finger at and say, they're the problem. Like you could point to the mortgage bankers in 2008 and say, you're the problem, here's the fix you know, let's get out of there, you know, let's get out of this thing. It's just a matter of encouraging people to, to you know, get back to spending money and we would be okay. This one is, is different in that there's, there's all sorts of finger pointing. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> knows what the heck's going on, really, you know, yeah. The, the, the finger pointing is, uh, is all over the place, although it is split in, by party lines, it seems. I never thought that public health and politics would be so intertwined, but mm. my goodness. Um, and uh, 
Um, and there's no clear end. That That's one of the differences for, for me. I'm really looking forward to Andrea's uh, answer on, on this one. Well, I, I regret these moments, but um, in 2008, we bragged to everyone because average ticket prices went up. So in 2008, entertainment is a release for people and people stopped vacationing, but went to concerts because they were staying home. And so during the 2008 recession, our companies had some of the best years we've ever had. Um, average ticket price actually went up the most per year that it had in like 10 years. Um, wow. Ticket sales were increasing. And so um, I've always bragged that we are in such a great industry because if something bad happens, if a recession happens, you know, this is a great industry to ride it out in. Well, now um, when you just simply can't have gatherings, uh, you know, we went to zero. I mean, we just literally the entire industry just stopped. And, you know, there's no, it's not like the recession where you can have some companies that maybe were smarter or better and are in better position. Like you're not having live events for until there's a vaccine, right? There's just not going to be gatherings of live events. Um, we tend to work with the top of the market. Um, we have the largest rehearsal facility, so we tend to have the largest tours. Um, the good news is that will come back, but we, you know, the people we work with only have shows of thousands of people at a time. And so, you know, across the community, um, certainly we're looking at other things to do in this time. Um, I think all of us winning being like, okay, let's pivot. What can we do? What are these other ways we can earn money? I think most of us have actually said, you know what, there's actually really not many other ways. You know, you'll plug a little hole here and there. We are, most of our strategy is now let's become the best version of us when we come out of here. Um, let's use this time to reorganize our infrastructure, look at efficiencies, you know, do those projects we've always wanted to do. Um, you know, some of the not so sexy, boring stuff, like let's inventory all of our assets and, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, really exciting stuff. But I think all of us um, are currently in a state of like, it's, there's just not going to be live events. And so, and, and there's, there's not, you know, there's no lobbying you can do to convince someone differently, isn't it? It's not safe. Um, and so I think until there's a vaccine and people can gather, um, I think we're just trying to make sure we come out the best version of ourselves and be ready when those who um, came into this week don't survive, how can we fill those gaps? How can we, you know, take advantage of this? So I keep talking about that word opportunity. Um, and, and certainly it sounds almost positive. Clearly, I don't wish we are where we are, but I think we are trying to just figure out what opportunities, you know, we could have. Um, I think for us, for most people, some of these experiences have been the same, but for us, it's almost like the polar opposite experience um, from the recession to this, because we just had a, you know, we're, it's just a big, there's no like where we got a drop and fails and it just stopped. Um, so hard to really, hard to really do much about that. Yeah, certainly. I think that's different. Oh, yes. Go ahead, Ross. You're no, uh, I was going to ask you a question, uh, Derek. I mean, you guys had all of your uh, your entire production schedule essentially canceled. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and you had to do some soul searching in terms of how you were going to survive. What did what did you do to to survive? And how will make be different? coming out of this than when you went into it. Yeah, I mean, certainly our, our, we couldn't, you know, our production stopped for about three and a half months. We couldn't do any shoots. Everything got, you know, either canceled or delayed. Thankfully, a lot of our clients delayed 
Um, and July has certainly been busy because people are afraid of when, if there's going to be another kind of shutdown and what that looks like. So everybody wants to sh just shoot everything, it seems like, in, in July, which is great for us now, you know, but it's a little unsustainable, the current, the current schedule, basically, in, you know, eight days shooting or in 10 days shooting, you know, seven or eight days in a row. So, um, which is great. Again, it's, it's amazing. But I think in the beginning, um, we were just evaluating. I know Ross and I had, you know, a lot of conversations about this too when we were in the middle of it, but evaluating kind of uh, how can we, you know, kind of um, be doing things differently than just shooting everything. What, what are kind of some solutions? Cause our, the great thing about our business is that, and especially technology, I feel like 15 years ago or even 10 years ago, uh, the technology and the post-production world wouldn't have kept up with kind of what we had to do right now uh, with everybody being remote and being able to take kind of their computers with them, kind of our better editing machines with them and split up our shared server here and put it out to the editors so they can all work and then even the uh, hand delivering footage uh, by hard drives to con continue that teamwork that we do with editing. So I think for us, um, thinking through kind of, okay, well, everybody has smartphones, you know, how can we get our clients to provide footage, uh, frontline footage when they're, you know, healthcare workers or construction workers, send that back to us and we can create, uh, you know, great content for them within the middle of this whole thing. So that's really what we were doing with all of our clients, similar to what you're saying, Ross, reaching out and saying, hey, listen, how can we work together right now? We're both going through hard times. What can we do to help tell your story? Um, not the story that you're washing your hands better than your competitor, as we talked about, but the legitimate story of like what's happening in this current climate and what do you want your customers to know that you're doing and, and that can continue to kind of keep, keep them going. So we were just focusing on what can we actually do post-production wise. And then when we get back to shooting, what can we do to keep us, keep it, the whole crew safe? We've, you know, implemented like a re basically a remote way of, live streaming everything that we're shooting from our cameras now can be live streamed to remote clients uh, so they can view everything um, so if the client doesn't want to leave the office and those types of things we can have a small crew in place with producers watching the footage remotely um, live and be talking to us live and everything so that's been pretty neat um, to see and and a lot of our kind of suppliers our technology partners that you know with all the gear and all the shoot um, kind of gear have been ramping up technology to make those types of things easier, um, mm -hmm. which has been helpful too. So um, I, I think for us coming back um, in, the, in the future, it's going to um, be a hybrid of content that's, you know, create, I mean, we're getting more and more used to advertising content being shot with smartphones and kind of vloggers and influencers on social media. So it's going to be a little bit more of a hybrid of professionally shot and that's already kind of, I think what ended up happening is it just kind of pushed that faster. Basically, people were so used to that. And now it's like, okay, not, not everything has to be shot in, on our 6K cameras and, and, you know, these incredibly expensive cameras. Uh, some things can be, and then some things can be um, shot creatively with smartphones that everybody has. So um, that has been kind of, and, and even uh, the documentary project that we're finishing now, um, these long-term projects that um, kind of have more built-out schedules so we can uh, have more flexibility within kind of the post-production schedule. That's really been, that's kept us busy for the last four months too, working in post for four months on a long project, on a three-hour documentary basically. So um, yeah, 
but I think our team kind of, we, you know, had a lot of these kind of conversations with, with a small team. We're able to kind of have all 12 of us sit down uh, in, a, in a Zoom call and, uh, and then individually too and think through like, what do we, where, where do we see it going, the industry, and uh, how can we kind of be reactive and proactive? In the beginning, it's reactive, right? You're just like trying to, trying to just figure it out as fast as you can. And now I think with our feet under us a bit more, it's more proactive and um, that optimism, realism, uh, you know, sandwich. <laughs> sure, sure. If I could give some hope to um, Andrea and anybody that might be uh, affected by, by, this, uh, by this, uh, this pandemic, um, in 2008, I was losing hundreds of customers per quarter. I had about a thousand, I've got about a thousand customers now, I had about a thousand customers back then. Mm. I was five million in sales back then. I'm 65 million in sales now. Uh, if it wasn't for the pandemic, and I'm thinking about Andrea's words, how can we be the best version of ourselves when we come out of this thing? If it wasn't for the pandemic that really forced us to focus on what are we good at, it really kind of looking at, um, uh, uh, looking at Jim Collins' this kind of uh, concentric circle or a Venn diagram of what can we be the best in the world at, what drives uh, our, our economic engine, and you know, what brings us joy in, in doing those things. Um, and uh, at the time, we were, we were sending email, and we were sending email for anybody. If you had $250 uh, and an email list, we would gladly sign you up as a customer. But when the pandemic or when the last economic downturn hit, we were losing tons of customers. We had hundreds of customers that qualified for MailChimp's free account. That's not a good spot to be in from a business perspective. Um, and it really forced us to say, who's sending the most amount of email? Who can we drive the most uh, value for? And we found that it was for retail. And that's how we, that's how we found a, a market that just allowed our business to explode. But it's painful. When you're in the trough, it's a painful, painful uh, experience. We all talk about change and how, you know, we, you know, we want to change is hard. Change is really, really difficult. Um, I think from a leadership perspective, this change was forced on people. So we had no, we didn't have a choice, right? We didn't have a yeah. choice in, in change. So Ross and, and Andrea, when you're looking at your businesses now and you're thinking about kind of the future and the innovation that being the best version of yourself, um, what are some advice, what, what's some advice you'd give to listeners to say, if I'm sitting in front of a piece of paper or sitting in front of a leadership team, what are some of the things I should be thinking about to become a better version of our business and, and my, ourselves personally too? So Andrew, Andrea, uh, what would you think? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so, you know, I'll align it to some of the things we're thinking about. Um, and one of the things that we've done at Rocklet um, is balancing. Um, and it's sort of like you're sort of what Ross is saying, right? Where do we make money? And, you know, what do we love? And so um, Rocklet, it's one of the reasons, you know, you ask, like, what is some advice? Like, you know, cash is king. It's just the reality. <laughs> um, you got to run your business in a way where you have cash to deal with these types of situations. And, you know, I know it's so trivial and sounds so simple, but 
you know, as we're helping people, we're seeing that's the difference between who's, who's going to be okay and who's not. Um, the, yeah. but the other thing is that we, we um, had as a strategy that we wanted to create a community of care. We treated, you know, our vendors the same way we treat our customers, the same way we treat our people. And, and we really genuinely look, how do we, can we take care of people? And um, within the community, we invested a lot of efforts in building these deep relationships. So sort of through this, we, um, we spent more of my time in the first few months actually helping all of my tenants within the community figure out how to apply for PPP, figure out how to operate efficiently, what are the new CDC rules. We ran all the trainings. We bought joint PPE for folks. You know, we, um, we helped with unemployment. And a lot of why I was busy was actually helping other companies survive, you know, not myself. Um, so, so I guess as we look forward, you know, what do we want to do? Um, I want to do a, a balance of those things, right? I, I want to look at what are the things that are going to make me money um, in a way that I can sustain my business. Um, but I also want to invest in the things that make us us, you know, what's our DNA, what's our culture. So there's a few things we've always struggled with. Like we know we want to do something with education. We're not going to get rich doing something with education. We will certainly fill our pipeline better, which, you know, leads to more business and, and being a better company. But a lot of it is because how do you, you know, investing in education is how you uh, get kids excited about being in the industry. How do you address diversity? Well, you know, help folks in diverse back with diverse backgrounds actually feel like they could belong in this industry from the start, right? So there's all these sort of things that don't necessarily lead to tangible revenue that we know are good for our community. So while I certainly say cash is what's going to help me get out of this, sort of, what's really going to help me get out of this is I've spent a lot of time taking care of people around us and creating these partnerships. So my bank had confidence in me and was the first person to step up and say, how can I help you? My tenants, who I proactively offer rent deferral to, are going to do everything they can to figure out how to pay me rent because we've invested in that. So I think as you figure out, you know, how do I be the best version of me? Um, it has to have financial to it. You know, we're unrealistic to not think financially as you run a business, but I think it also has to be an investment of what makes you, you, um, and what makes you special. And, and um, for us, it's about being good people um, and taking care of people because people want to then take care of you in return. So, um, but whatever that is, it could be that you're the most creative, you're, you know, the coolest place in the world to work, um, yeah. whatever it is, I think it's important that you think about both of those three businesses. Yeah, that's, that's great. Great advice. I love that. Um, and then Ross, would you, what would you add to that in terms of looking at the future and thinking about how you, can you become the best version of yourself and your business? I recently stumbled upon a very simple principle that I've been rolling out to the whole company and I rolled it out pre-pandemic and it's so true now and it's something that I call rule number one which is for our retail customers they really desire only one thing from us which is to make their revenue go up and everything that we should do should be focused around that one thing mm -hmm. um, when the pandemic hit that be that came into specific relief um, <laughs> and um, and I think focus, these, these times, these trying times really allow us to focus on what, what, what's the important things. What should we be doing more of? What, what should we be doing um, uh, less of? So uh, we did, I don't want to say we did a, a pivot, but we, 
we put a bunch of products that were in our pipeline that we were ready to launch in a very um, socially undistanced way at a conference in San Diego, <laughs> you know, with all the fanfare and whatnot of a, of a user conference that was uh, promptly scuttled. Um, but we rolled it out um, uh, virtually and everybody, everybody rallied, rallied around that. Um, and uh, I've, got a, I've got a question for, for Andrea. What will, have you seen any innovations or new things or do you, what do you see coming out of the live entertainment space post pandemic? Other than, you know, the typical, I don't know, checking temperatures and that type of thing, some yeah. of this stuff is, will we see different things coming from live events? Will, will, will augmented reality, will it, will this speed the, the adoption of that uh, or what? You know, what? It's, it's interesting. So we have actually been in this really fascinating point of certain innovation could actually um, ruin, you know, what we all rely on to happen. Um, and so we've actually found that one of the first things we looked at was like, well, okay, we're not going to get rehearsals, you know, for a big show. So what about live streaming? Let's shut, set up something where people could live stream. And some of the bigger companies in the industry were like, why would you do that? Like, this is a nine month year problem. It's going to be a shitty year, but like we ought to, you know, 50 years after that, we don't want to ruin, you know, what makes us what we are. Um, but I think on the flip side, we also say nothing will ever replace. I just don't think there's anything that could ever replace this um, experience of being at a concert with the mm -hmm. environment and the crowd and the energy and this, you know, feeling like I just met the artist, even though you don't, and, you know, seeing them there, even though most of us are sadly staring at the video screen, not the artist anymore. Um, we still feel like we had some connection where if it was augmented reality or it was, you know, they were live streaming and we were watching it from their, you know, from the, the screen, it just isn't the same. So we have seen um, drive-in movies um, convert to basically someone will do a concert and they'll stream that concert to all these drive-in movie shows. And it went okay. It, you know, some people were probably happy just to get out. Some people probably went because it was just entertainment. But we got a lot of feedback that it just, well, it wasn't really the artist. It was like watching, you know, it could have been on TV. Um, yeah. I also think a lot of the live streaming stuff, um, people like, don't want to watch a concert on TV. But hey, if I could like see the artist sitting in their living room and like feel some, like get some intimacy yeah. out of it, you know, like their dog came into the picture, like maybe some realness, like their kid, like my kid who like plays the ukulele in half of my Zoom calls, um, <laughs> you know, their kid walked into the video screen and they're like, you know, it's time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I think we'll see um, some technology change, but I think that it'll all be associated with an actual live experience or these intimate, unique encounters with an artist and how do you then maybe use that to actually enhance the live experience or create content that you could get before or after. Mm. Ross, what about you? What do you think? Is there any innovation coming down the line for retail uh, that, that besides just accelerating maybe online retail, but anything the, else? 
there are, I don't know if it's exci as exciting as some of the stuff that the Rock Lidditz community does from an experiential perspective. I think in the scheme of things like curbside pickup uh, is not as exciting as, you know, watching Taylor Swift live in concert. However, I think it will bring joy to our lives. Um, so, and I, so many retailers knew they needed to do a digital transformation. But again, that thing about change and change is hard and we've always done it that way. And, and retail is one of those things like, um, you know, you'd really, if you're not being disrupted, there's really not a whole big reason to change, you know, and there's, there's, but, and that's why you see these big retail disruptions that happen so that, you know, very quickly is, they don't change, they don't change, and then somebody comes along with a better mousetrap and boom, you know, uh, Sears is out of business. Um, yeah. So um, I think the, and I've seen this tweeted, you know, like the current Best Buy experience, the current pandemic Best Buy experience is better than the old Best Buy experience. <laughs> like, you know, you, you, you roll up, you text them that you're here, they bring it out to you, you never even go in the store or deal with it put in the car and you're off, um, you know, grocery delivery, um, you know, we, the, the, the grocery industry has long benefited from the fact that we do the pick pack and ship. Uh, and it's a pain in the butt who loves going to the grocery store. Nobody. I mean, it was even worse during the pandemic, but, um, you know, uh, crowdsource, you know, shopping, platforms like Instacart and that type of, so it's going to, the, the, the omni-channel focus is going to um, continue to accelerate and we're going to get some better customer experiences out of, out of that um, from, from retailers, uh, which is going to be really good. Ross, yeah. would you say, this is just my personal experience, but I'm just curious. So um, I think most of us live in a world where we need convenience. Um, and so it's important. So it's easy to say, well, yeah, you know, I can one click order at a red light. Um, however, through this, I think a, many of us at least went into this like, but I want to buy local. And so as some of the smaller local businesses figured out how to do curbside and how to do home delivery, like the farm shared, the farm down the street from me now delivers farm, you know, fruits and mm -hmm. fresh fruits and vegetables to my house and I place an order, I get it the next day. They're, they're faster than Amazon at this point. Um, do you think actually over time, even then got bigger because it was the quickest, most convenient right in front of me, but as some of these smaller local businesses resolve this challenge and are forced to change because they had no choice, do you think maybe some of that shift will happen? We just haven't got there. Uh, I hope so. I certainly, I certainly hope so. Um, you know, these, these downturns and these changes in, you know, the economy and society uh, create create opportunities. The technology is certainly there. You know, we've got all the technology that we need to do this in our, in our pockets. And the, the, the farmer's got all the technology he needs to run the operation in his pocket as well. Yeah. Uh, we just need the consumers to be able to, to think that way. And, and it was probably the pandemic and the need that, that connected uh, yeah. that, that now that they made it easier, like I can get the local ice cream place can deliver, you know, my farm can deliver. Like, I'm like, this is great. I actually found that my giant order was going down because I found these other opportunities mm. of like convenience where like before I was like, there, there's no time in my day to stop at four, sh you know, four stores to get my groceries. 
So yeah. hopeful. We'll be hopeful. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Opportunity, hopeful moment. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, looking forward to that. And, you know, sometimes, not sometimes, most times Facebook is not a very uh, fun place uh, to be. Um, but it has given these local um, retailers and local makers and, and um, producers an avenue of, of inexpensive uh, discovery for, uh, for folks like us to be able to discover, to discover what's available. Andrea, I think the insight of the small businesses, like, you know, you look in Lancaster City, just with some of the things that uh, they've been doing here. And, and it, you know, another nice thing is the Horse Inn now is finally offering reservations. So, uh, anyway. Ah, <laughs> so final, be exactly, finally, <laughs> finally, um, for Lancaster, you know, for Lancaster County people, it's a great, it's a great thing. But in any case, um, hey, I'll, we'll kind of wrap up here, but I really appreciate all your insights and the conversation we had today. Um, all three of us are going through, of course, challenges daily and, and scary uncertainties, but I think with your approaches that we learned today and with just kind of thinking through and thinking the next couple of months and optimism with the realism, um, we can be better for this and stronger for this and um, learn a lot of things through this time and, and, and be better um, prepared for the next one and hopefully not for a hundred more years, right? <laughs> yeah. but, we'll write uh, it down for our kids. <laughs> exactly, I know, man, it's a story. Sometimes you just have to, walking around with your mask you see all these people wearing masks it just like stops me in my tracks like i'm just like how is this today how is this not a movie you know uh it's it's insane but uh i, I appreciate your insights and you guys are just uh, a couple of the great leaders here in lancaster county and i appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today thank you thanks Derek. thanks for listening to this episode of make impact follow our journey on instagram at make impact podcast Make Impact is hosted by Derek Diener, written by Letitia Kreider, and produced by Letitia Kreider and Grace Wagner. Aaron Diener and Seth Bortner edit the episodes, and Lisbeth Byler is our marketing manager. Make Impact is brought to you by Make Films, a team of filmmakers producing meaningful content to inspire and motivate. Learn more at makefilms.cc. Until next time, be kind to one another and make an impact.